0: We now go into our business wrap on this Monday, and I'm joined by uh, Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer at uh, Makwe Fund Managers. Makwe, who's there, Khudman? Sweet, no smog. Let's maybe start off here uh, with uh, some of your uh, analysis of uh, what came out of uh, the uh, Zondo Commission. Before we get into some of these uh, business stories, because I I do know, Makwe, you follow these things.
1: You're at your Festival of Commission. Yeah, chief. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Ayabonga, you know, and I think at some point uh, some of us get lost into the whole thing because you start asking yourself that what is the real purpose of Mm. all these commissions? Are we really still on target or what? And yes, it tends to be like nice juicy stories come out of there, coming out, and definitely we will live them. But now maybe we need to pause and say what was the whole purpose, you know? of establishing, say, an example, the Zondo Commission. Are we still on track or not? Because my problem is, if you call me to testify and maybe I mention uh, Ayabonga, maybe about Ayabonga as well, as, uh, uh, wait, I need to come and clarify or put whatever that into a proper context. Give you an example. That thing the Rupert told Gillian Barula that they will close the country, whatever. But I think I think there's a different context to that, you know. And maybe the rooters will send their lawyers to say, okay, no, wait, let's clarify what we meant. This is the context that we said all this things. So it keeps on going on, going on, going on forever. So I think at some point we need to know and say guys. This is what we want to achieve, and I think it's going to stop here. Because what's frustrating as well, and while we're busy with our festival of commission, can in the meantime also continue with service delivery. Because you get to a point where people like departments no longer working, they're scared to sign off things, stuff like that, because they don't know that they've been trapped or not. And I think for me and you, As ordinary citizens, as much as we would like to get to the truth of who did what and which money was stolen and we want our money back. At the same time, what is important is that we need service delivery. We need to see the economy growing. We need to see jobs created. So I hope... People don't get to be consumed by all that and forget the most crucial thing, which is to make sure that this economy has to start working. I mean, we are not in the right position because we mm. are not working okay. So that's how I take the whole thing. I'm not saying that I'm but let us also not forget other important things, which is to make sure that we get the necessary jobs and get the economy working again.
0: Yeah, yeah. And talking about getting the economy working, I mean, one key... Uh, constraining institution to that is uh, our uh, electricity uh, provider, ESCOM, and uh, they've seen their group Treasurer stepping down or signaling his intention to step down in the next few months or so. And uh, before, maybe, Mark, we, we unpack this uh, uh, exit here of uh, Andre Pillay, I'd be quite interested to, uh, to understand in a company of the size of ESCOM and in the sector that ESCOM operates in, uh, what is the job and function of a treasury division?
1: To make sure that that liquidity... Telcom, they absolutely not Telcom, ESCOM, they raise money mainly by issuing bonds. Mm. So they, as treasury, because a bond people have to understand, a bond is like a public company issuing shares. So they raise money by issuing bonds. So you have to make sure that, number one, Your bonds are rated accordingly, given a balance sheet, and your bonds are able to raise the necessary money, and your bonds are tradable. So it's a very, very crucial job, especially when it comes to the liquidity of the company. And as we know that telecom, I think, when it comes to our state-owned institutions, is the one who's got the most bonds and mm. is the one that has got the most foreigners owning their bonds. So it's a very important job. So mm. Andre definitely he's in the engine room. He could easily see that things are not working, there's no demand for bonds, or we don't even have the money to pay coupons yes. because remember, with we a bond, they will tell you that after every six months, they'll pay you a certain percentage a coupon. And then after whatever, 20 or 15 years, they repay your capital. Mm. So the essence of treasure is you are in the engine to make sure that money is available, liquidity is there. So people like Andre, just to say, okay, guys, I'm calling it quick. I think it's a story to see that. Things here are not working out, we don't have the liquidity, probably we'll even get to a point where we will not be able to honor our coupons. And then now if we start defaulting, then it's a big thing. Because mm-hmm. for ESCOM to default, it means you as government, as the only shareholder, you have to step in and remember that guarantee that government has signed on behalf of ESCOM. So uh, meaning me and you basically will be stepping in. Mm-hmm. So I think for them not even disclosing, what one can come to conclusion is that things are not working out.
0: What does this mean, Makwe, for, I guess, many of the lenders who have certainly become jittery of late around the quality of the debt uh, uh, issued by ESCOM that they hold? And, uh, of course, uh, this would have been the front guy who would uh, go into negotiations uh, with the, the lenders and with the bond markets and say, look, Guys, this is what we're looking to do. These are our plans in terms of raising finance, and it's for these particular purposes. What will it mean now to onboard someone new from August uh, for the relationship that ESCOM has with many of its creditors?
1: I think definitely they'll be looking for someone who will just hit the ground running. Maybe someone who's from... Uh, and someone internal or from another institution. As you're saying, you don't have time to teach anyone. You Mm. don't need the novice in that. And most importantly, you need someone who already has a relationship with those clients, you know, already has got a relationship with the market, you know, that will be critical because, you know, in this world of finance, Ayabonga, relationships are key. You need to be able to know that I can pick up the call and and call Ayabonga if I'm going on auction. And I know that maybe this is the participation, what will be the cover ratio, stuff like that. So I think definitely they will get someone that the market already mm. know, someone who's got existing relationship, because other than that, it's not going to work out. But yeah. also with the existing relationship, unfortunately, no one, I think, wants to touch those kinds of bonds from ESCOM unless uh, if Tito as they said they checked this whole thing of that getting a portion of that two hundred and thirty billion. And <laughs> I think they wasted our time. Tito and the likes they should have said in February, tabled that bill then. By now ESCOM could have already had that portion of 280 because mm-hmm. of them waiting after the elections and, the storm and stuff like that because essentially that's what they have wanted to do during the ballot speech and it confirms that in that budget speech it was mainly talking to the rating agencies which I think in a way it was a clever move but here it is, it is catching up with us mm-hmm. this is something that definitely there's no way we could have I mean avoided it remember when they talked about it in the 3 oh, rating agencies said that's not sufficient
0: yeah, yeah, Mark. Well, let's let's maybe shift our attention from Eskom and uh, certainly uh, an unfolding onboarding that uh, we're going to be watching closely here on uh, Metro FM Talk. Let's take a look now at Pioneer Foods. Uh, they came out with a cautionary today, saying that uh, they've started negotiations, which uh, might have an impact on their share price. And for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with who Pioneer Foods is, these are the guys who make uh, you know wheat bakes. Uh, who make Bovril, who make Series Juice, uh, uh, You know, White Star, Speco, Liquifruit, all of those brands that you interact with every single day, uh, every time you go shopping on the shelves. And uh, they've now decided uh, to go into negotiations. And uh, it's, it's still unclear, of course, uh, what the nature of these negotiations are. Uh, but uh, which kind of negotiations would potentially have an impact on their share price?
1: Either way, you know, I think given that the share price went up by more than a percent, I think it's a question of whatever it happens is going to help out uh, Pioneer Food, whether they're going to go out and acquire a country, as other analysts were thinking in Eastern Europe, whether they'll get another shareholder, which happens to be a decent shareholder there to unbundle, whatever move it is, you know, the impact on the share price should be positive going forward. And as we know, that maybe say, Maybe the guys are gonna go and acquire something outside of the country, and it should be positive for them, given that the s a consumer already is struggling, so it will be very important for them to to diversify if they like to offer there, that is a strong banking, also maybe it will be helping better a uh, major shareholder p s g but you look at the whole thing as what do you call it um Pioneer Food. I mean, you compare that with the food producers index. You know, the PE that's sitting at 14, and the producers food producers in the PE sitting on almost 16, and the dividend yield of Pioneer Food, I think it's 5.1 compared to 5.9 of the index. So compare brand, you compare it with a Tiger Brands, you compare it with AVI, they look very cheap. But mm. yeah. The market interpretation is that that's positive because the share price ended up almost just around one point seven percent up yeah. so whatever it is it should be okay but i think there was well and given that at some point they were sitting at a PE of almost 16. so yes we know that the share price has gone down significantly mm. but that's almost to every company other than the last which is the one which happened to go oh, up wow. almost all companies have been going down
0: now, now Mark, with the other, I guess, scenario that has been painted by those who, I guess, function in the rumor mill in the marketplace and uh, speculate on some of these issues is that uh, one of the investees, which is a Stellenbosch-based investment holdings company Zeda, I don't know how you pronounce that, uh, which uh, also has investments in the likes of uh, Cap Agri and uh, Cape Span, AgriVision and even Quantum Foods, which uh, makes a lot of uh, things in the poultry and egg uh, business and uh, in the broiler business as well, uh, is uh, that they might also be considering or mulling over unbundling their stake uh, in uh, Pioneer Foods. And that, w- that that might also be what the negotiations are about.
1: And not be uh, surprising, given that their stake is half the value of the in Pioneer Foods. Mm. And so that should be good news for the as their shareholders. And in this not the main shareholders happen to be PSG, so that also should be positive. The PSG shareholders. But yeah, that's also a possibility. Yeah, that it's very tricky. But, you know, for the fact that we know that these are very serious negotiations in the sense that you we know, should have a material impact on the share price. Maybe that is why we saw the share price acting like that. But you are right. It can be either way, whether they're unbanking or them acquiring something or they themselves, Bonga. There might be a target. Somebody might be coming to buy them. As we mm. said, the valuation is very decent. I don't want to say cheap, but their valuation is very decent. And like I said, Ella, if you compare it with their peers, if you want to use the metrics of PE, I mean, that's got the lowest PE compared to the other guys. And I, like I said, Ella, every development PE is lower than the food producer's index PE. So mm. they're looking very decent.
0: Yeah, so when we when we talk about that PE, of course, uh, referring to whether or not it's under or overpriced. And when you say they've got a lower PE than uh, some of the other competitors, it means they're a much uh, cheaper proposition to those who either want to acquire the company or even buy up some of its shares.
1: Exactly, they'll get it for a song. A PE of 14, the index ticking at PE of 16, the AVI ticking at almost 18, your of Tiger around sitting at almost 20. So I think 14 is cheap mm-hmm. relative to the
0: other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, with the other story I wanted us to talk about here, and uh, it's uh, quite interesting in the context of uh, a lot of people at any dinner table you go to uh, dishing out all manner of investment advice. Now, uh, we've heard a story here of investors who uh, may have lost money to the tune of 100 million in a scheme that was run by a prominent Joburg advisor. And uh, also in another story in KZN of uh, some Bitcoin investors also losing a significant amount of money as well in a similar scheme. And uh, uh, what's interesting for me with the first scheme is uh, how, of course, alongside, I guess, whatever Ponzi scheme that they had, they also had uh, a traditional unit trust or a fund of funds uh, that uh, they were encouraging people to invest in. I mean, how how common is this where people uh, use a combination, I guess, of uh, unregulated investment vehicles alongside uh, more traditional investment vehicles to try and give some legitimacy to their schemes?
1: Uh, you know, we need to understand, you know, when you give money to someone, there is a the mandate that you need to sign. And you need to understand what that, the mandate that we're giving to a particular person. So now if people just give someone an open-ended mandate, that's when you'll get people doing whatever they like. Sometimes it's not even open-ended. Someone puts it in the mandate that will be uh, investing, like in this other case, that there is this brand or whatever franchise that we need to pursue. And guys are happy because depending on who the guy, is the smooth talker, he can show them the numbers that this is the way to go. You know, and even the returns that he was promising the guys, because when it comes to equities, no one can guarantee those kind of returns that I'll give you, fourteen percent per annum and you can even go to Dundee. So I think they use that, you know, to lose investors, to allow them... To, to to invest in that unregulated investment in this instance into that franchise, you know. And yes, you ask yourself, does it exist? Yes, we know the stores used to be around. So it's not like they made up a story. The franchise was there. It's just so unfortunate that it is so unregulated and the guys didn't even understand maybe the complexity of the whole thing. But, you know, when someone starts guaranteeing you among those kind of returns, 14% per annum, which can also go to 20 to us, you need to stop and pause that, my goodness, you know, where on earth are you able to make those kind of returns, especially in this day and age? So I think it's a combination of both that probably he disclosed, but people do not understand, hmm. they make their risk, because sometimes they don't explain this kind of risk to people. And in this instance, they happen to be pensioners as well. So chances are, you know, they just went along because they know him, the guy is prominent, you know. It's easy to buy into this whole thing, you know. And yes, there's some money, fortunately, in this instance, which is managed by outside managers. I think plus month, I in which at least is that in uh, regulated investments, as you said, in some mini terms. But it's just so unfortunate. And our system is such. Is in is such a way that it's very accidental. Mm. It's not supposed to be like that. Because, hey, take that that's when the people may tend to lose almost 100 million. And what are the authorities doing? They are now reacting to all that. So I think we should find a way, you know, to be able to make sure that stuff like that gets to be... Uh, people can be able to detect them beforehand, then, or maybe our inspectors maybe they don't have
0: sufficient
1: mm. resources to be able to go out there. And so, so Mark, buildings.
0: maybe explain the regulatory system here of uh, schemes of this kind because you uh, no, no know, I mean, surely there should be some uh, red flags or some form of, uh, I guess. Uh, a viewpoint that says to the regulator, hey, I'm already seeing a certain scheme and here are some of the red flags just judging their own activity or activity in their bank accounts or even how uh, mm-hmm. uh, they are getting this uh, money and uh, if, it, of course, it's using this uh, sort of what someone said to me today is a hockey stick kind of approach by way of deposits and also some of the returns that you're seeing there. Surely that should be a red flag or there should be some form of early warning system within our regulatory uh, framework so that uh, people don't have to lose money and then say, you know, yeah, you've learned your lesson now after you've lost the money. Surely there should be some protection uh, that provides an early warning system.
1: I uh, think well, it's not just easier said than the fact that that is unregulated.
0: So that tells you
1: that authorities don't have sight over mm. there. If money goes into a bank account, you know, how many bank accounts are there? And if you are sitting with a banker, you see all these eight hundred, five hundred thousand 500,000 coming in, and you check they're coming into a legit bank account, they're coming into an institution which is allowed anyway, by law, you know, to collect those kinds of money. For you as a banker, then you're always a red flag, you know, that what the hell is happening there. because anyway, that bank account is allowed, you know, to attract that kind of money, and in most cases, you find that it's even a trust account, which is properly opened and run by a proper bank. So now the question is, you don't have a site of what do they do with those deposits the minute they withdraw them and put them into another account and in this instance let's say as a bank you could even see that here it's 15 million that was taken from this trust account and it went into a legit business in this case it was a franchise which has existing how do you sensitize as a bank because you are not schooled to know that that money is going into a good investment or not. Hmm. And the guys who are supposed to know, they don't even have sight because that's unregulated. It's not even within their scope. And hence, that thing is unregulated. Only when people will go and start complaining, that's when they'll say, oh, oops, is that what is happening? Because remember, inspectors, when they come, they'll come and check the mandate, check this and that, and they do some checks. And just so uh, fund managers out there that probably are doing what they were not supposed to do mm. or even in regulated investment they're still not maybe following the mandate themselves so it's not an easy thing. as much as we love to see our regulators not to be reactionary but it's said than that
0: yeah yeah well, we'll have to leave it there my brother always a pleasure to catch up with you and i certainly hope uh off the record we can get some of your analysis of uh some of the happenings at uh, the uh, Zondo Commission. No, no 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 no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Good luck. Makwe Vazilela, the Chief Investment Officer at uh, Makwe Fund Managers, joining us this evening here on uh, Metro FM Talk for our business wrap. Uta drop in a line, Mark. Of course, Makwe.